Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Hey, why was the snowman looking through the carrots? He was picking his nose. Uh, the gingerbread man went to the doctor complaining he had a sore knee. The doctor asked him, have you tried icing it? Hey, how y'all doing, huh? Come on, we fun? Yeah. Like my shirt? Love my shirt. Love my shirt. I, I, I'm like, awesome. You know what? I didn't even have to say, one, two, three, y'all eyes on me to get your attention, did I? Huh? No, you, what? Did this get your attention? Come on, when I walked out with this shirt on, did it get your attention? Did it? Wow. So it's sort of like I did that on purpose because our story today is about a guy who dressed a little weird to get some attention because he had a job to do. So like me, you know, whoa, here we go. Woo. Oh, come on. Y'all are all awake. It's first service. You're asleep today. I got to wake you up somehow. Come on, let's go. Woo. So if you got your Bibles open with me, Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. So our story today is about a colorful guy who, whose attire was colorful, whose message was confrontational, and whose methods were controversial. There's an outline for you if you need one, because I did my work. I can outline if I need to. But anyway... His attire was colorful. We find out in Mark chapter 1, verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And that's a little weird. I don't care what anybody says. I'm ringing really bad. Could you help me out, boss? Thanks. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to his message. His message wasn't very fun. He said, you brood of vipers. That's the way to make friends, right? Hey, snakes, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire of hell. Fun message, huh? Confrontational. How about this one? His methods were controversial. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Why was this so controversial? Because he was baptizing Jews. I didn't know if you knew that, but up to that time, they baptized Gentiles. Why'd they baptize Gentiles? If you wanted to convert to Judaism and you were a Gentile, they made you go through a rite of circumcision and they made you go through a baptism process where they would put you in water and wash your dirty Gentileness off of you. I'm just sharing the way it is. So do you know what happened? John showed up and said, oh, you want to think other people are dirty? You're just as dirty. you got to be baptized and washed clean too. You're just as bad as those filthy Gentiles you hate. Woo! That's a confrontational message, isn't it? All right, I'm just saying. From that last verse, we know that John had a job. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He said in John 1.31, the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. And there are a couple of lines John said that spoke to my heart. This is all introductory, and then what I want to do is, I've got a plan for today, but these are lines from John the Baptist story that speak to me. You ready for this? John 3, 
27. A person can receive only what has been given to them from heaven. Listen, if you don't get anything else today, everything you receive in this life of any value comes from heaven. A man can receive, a woman can receive, only what's given to him from heaven. And God's got plenty to give you. And then my, my favorite one of John, John 3.30. He must be greater, I must be less. So, uh, do y'all mind if I take this off because I'm getting hot? Please? Wow. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I think I may hang it up over. Oh, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You're a good man. I don't care what your wife says about you. All right. This is back to me now. Ha. Plain black. <laughs> a little more comfortable. Um, I've been praying about what God wants to do with us as a church. Attendance is up here at Harvest Ridge. I'm not sure if you recognize that. Attendance is up. Attendance is actually um, about the highest we've ever had in November. Um, giving's up. Attendance is up. Everything's up, up and to the right, the way I like it, right? I like my bar graph to go up and to the right, for you guys up and to the right, okay? I like that. I like it. That's how I like things to run. Last couple of months, though, I've been disturbed. My spirit has been disturbed. Because I don't care about numbers. I don't care about nickels and noses. You know what I care about? Disciples. We, we have a church in the United States that we seem to be incredibly filled with people who pursue Jesus only when he does what we want him to do for us. And I am disturbed by that. So you're probably going to hear this next year some confrontational John the Baptist type stuff because I want you to become a disciple of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. There's a difference. Lots of people follow Jesus. I follow lots of people on Facebook and Instagram, right? But I'm friends with very few, and I'm committed to even fewer than that. And I want Jesus to move from the place of somebody you follow occasionally and listen to a little bit to the preeminent voice and role in your life. And for 2023, I'm going to be pushing us to move beyond the comfortable into full commitment to Jesus. If we want to raise children that will survive in this world we live in right now, we're going to have to, we adults, are going to have to show them how to live for Jesus more than just when it's convenient and comfortable. We're going to have to embrace sacrifice, commitment, and hearts sold out to Jesus. I don't know how to make this any clearer. So if you're easily offendable, put on your hard hat when you come in here on a regular basis because I'm going to offend you and I'm going to push against you. And the reason is I don't want 90% commitment. I want to be all in for Jesus because I want to raise up a generation that can survive. Yep. Yes. And the only way they're going to survive 
Because if Jesus is something I do when it's comfortable, he will be unnecessary for the next generation. Are you all following me? This is not... uh, Anyway, 2023. Disciples, probably going to be our word for 2023. I don't normally pick words for years. I'm not one of those guys. But I'm telling you, that's where God's directing my heart. So what I'm going to do today... is uh, I've been reading the Bible, believe that or not. And uh, when I read it in the Greek, one of the words that God's been speaking to me a lot about recently is a word, anagonosko. Uh, gnosko is knowledge. Ana means uh, uh, up, knowledge up. Or anagonosko literally means to, to listen. To listen to what is... Re- actually, in the Greek, it means to literally listen to what is read aloud. And one of the things I think we've got a weakness is in our churches and in our Christian lives is we become devotionette Christians, so we become Christianettes. Christianettes with devotionettes. And you know what we don't do? We don't listen to the whole counsel of God. So what I'm going to do today is a little different because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me a little different the next couple of weeks. I'm going to read, Anagonosco, I am going to read aloud large portions of Scripture for you to hear. Not so much to me to make commentary. I want to make commentary, but the Holy Spirit keeps telling me to shut up and make less commentary and read more Scripture. That means you're going to have to do something for the next 20 minutes. Y'all ready? You're going to have to listen. And a gnosko. Have you not heard this read aloud? So let God's Spirit speak to you. Y'all ready? All right, good. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? Luke chapter 3, and then we're going to go, if you've got a Bible, Luke 1. We're just going to read through large portions of Luke 1. But our text today, I picked it from Luke 3 because we're talking about John the Baptist and his advent is coming as a part of the Christmas story. I wanted to, I realized that a lot of us, we know the Charlie Brown version of Christmas, but we haven't heard the whole thing. So I want to give you the whole thing. Y'all ready? Uh, Luke 3, 3 says, And he, speaking of John the Baptist, went in all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of what? Come on, say the word with me. Repentance. Come on, 100%, all skate. Everybody get out of the sidelines. Everybody all skate with me. Preaching a baptism of? Repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So John's message was what? Repent. Forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for Him. Father, I pray that today, as we read aloud the words of Scripture, I pray that our hearts would be open and you would speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Somebody before you're seated, why don't you turn to somebody and say, I'm glad you're not wearing that shirt. Come on. (laughs) Glad you're here today if you're joining us online. (laughs) All right, so we're going back to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. I told you we're going Luke 1. I'm going to read a bunch of Scripture. Let's start Luke's reason for writing this book. Um, A little bit of maybe insight. Luke and Acts are a two-volume work. Did you all know that? It's two-volume work. Luke is the first book. He starts Acts with, in my former book, Theophilus. So he, he's a two-volume work. Now, <clears throat> why was Luke-Acts written? Can I give you a little history? 
<coughs> if you read the end of the book of Acts, there's a guy named Paul that had just appealed to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court would be Caesar. He just appealed to Caesar. Now, what he's doing is this. Um, Christianity was not allowed to exist in Rome technically because it was a new religion. And as a new religion, Rome did not allow new religions. Rome said you have to worship Caesar and you have to worship Rome. Are y'all following me this? They said you have to kowtow to the government's view. Are y'all, are y'all here? We got to kowtow to our culture's view of how we think about everything. Well, Paul was saying, uh-uh-uh-uh, no. Rome, what they allowed, Rome would allow, if there was a, a, um, a religion that existed before Rome existed, they would allow them to exist. Are you all following me here? Judaism existed before Rome existed, so Rome made special privileges to Jews to say, you can have your synagogues and you can worship. Now, there was tension between the government. There was always tension between the government and Jews. But they said, you can exist, and we're not going to kill you for doing Jewish stuff. Are y'all following me? So what, uh, what uh, Paul is appealing to Caesar for is to say, hey, this, hey guys, Christianity, this following of Jesus is not a separate religion. We are actually the fulfillment of Judaism. Are, are y'all following me here? So he writes this letter. Well, he, he hires out Luke and Theophilus, and Theophilus probably paid for it or however it is. Anyway, they write a court brief because if you're going to go to the Supreme Court, wouldn't you want a court brief in your hand to like explain, explain what your arguments are? So they write a court brief to take into Caesar. So before they have Paul's big trial to determine whether Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism or some new religion, they have this court brief to lay out about the origins of Jesus and the origins of the church and how they are the fulfillment. Are, are you all following this? Okay. That's why we have these books. So it's a document intended for a purpose, and it's written for a purpose. So let's look at it. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us. So you notice the very beginning language is, we didn't make this up. This is a part of a bigger story. Man, hopefully when I explain stuff like this, when you read the Bible, it will make more sense to you. All right? Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So... Then he goes into John's story, so he picks up. Uh, by the way, the reason John the Baptist is so important is the Old Testament Malachi ends with the promise that a person like Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and hearts of the children to their fathers or else God's going to come and strike the land with a curse. So John the Baptist is the last prophecy in the Old Testament and we pick up with John the Baptist in this New Testament story. John chapter 1 verse 5, the story of John the Baptist starts with, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now his wife Elizabeth 
was a descendant of Aaron. So this roots both of them in what? Come on. Judaism, strongly in Judaism. Now, both of them were righteous. And the sight of God and observing all the Lord's commands, rooting it back to the law, and decrees, how did they do it? Come on. All right. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Story goes like this. If you don't understand those days, they didn't have a social security system. Without a social security system, with no retirement system, no 401ks, what was your only retirement? Your kids. Okay? Your kids were. They're the ones that take care of you. Come on, those of us that are getting to the age that our parents are older, there is definite work to be done even now by kids to take care of parents, correct? All right. Some of you aren't there yet. Those of you that are know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, so it was considered cursed if you didn't have kids to take care of you. So everybody would look at Elizabeth and Zechariah and say, these people are cursed. God doesn't love them. If he loved them, he would take care of them, and they can't have kids. And that's actually the view that's going on in this story. But are these people cursed? No, because they're righteous and blameless. So God's not cursing them. And there is a real message for you and I. Can we just stop for a second? Can we think about this? There are some of you, because you don't have what you prayed for, what you asked for, what you expect, and what you think is right, you think God has ignored you, and you even sometimes question his existence. I've been there and done that. Come on. Anybody else honest enough to say you've been there and done that? Okay. All right, good, good. And what we want to do is we want to somehow push this off on God, that God doesn't exist, or I've done something wrong, or blah, 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 and blee, 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 and we make all these excuses. And what I want to show you from this passage is very clearly that these guys did the right thing, and they didn't get the right results because it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time yet. Jeremy Camp puts it this way. The story's not over yet. Come on, God's still writing the story. And if you'll remain faithful like they did, the time will come where God will give you better than you expect. Maybe God's not punishing you by keeping you from the thing you long for. Maybe he has a better plan. Because if they had had a kid like everybody else, it wouldn't have been so special that people would have listened to John the Baptist. <clears throat> I don't think you got that. If they had had it like everybody else, it wouldn't have been so special. But God had a better plan. So he's not punishing you. He has a better plan. And what if, what if your calling is to wait and be faithful? What if your calling isn't, I pray and God gives the answer every time? What if your calling is to wait and be faithful? Will you still be righteous? Will you still be blameless? So the story continues, Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. So this only happens, guys. There were thousands of priests. This only happens occasionally. You have to understand, there are literally tens of thousands of priests in Israel at this time. And Zechariah, 
his clan gets chosen to show up in Israel to be the priest for the month. And notice what happened. He was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot. Out of the thousands that were there, he was chosen by lot. So this is a rare day. Come on, this is a red letter day in his life. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn the incense in the Holy of Holies. And nobody else is allowed in there. And he gets to walk in. Big day. And while the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside because they're not allowed in. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Yeah, he's the only one in there. And then all of a sudden, an angel's there. That's scary. But the angel said to him, come on, back to last week. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Mm. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. What do we know about this John? He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take, listen to this, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. We'll come back to that. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord. And there's the quotation of the Malachi verse. Now, John's rule of life was he's to live with Nazarite. It's funny, introducing another Nazarite. Not a Nazarite as in vow, but a Nazarite as in where he was from. And what is a Nazarite? There are three vows that you make. And you might, anybody remember the famous Nazarite? Who, Samson, yes. And you're not allowed to touch anything that comes off the vine. So no grapes, no wine, no nothing. Second, you don't cut your hair. So John the Baptist walked around with his hair uncut his entire life. And you don't touch anything dead. Nothing dead. So he could never eat meat. He was different. Couldn't touch dead. All right. So um, that, this a rule of, that was his rule of life. So this guy was a little weird, right? He didn't live like everybody else. So Zechariah is talking to an angel, yet he says, how can I be sure of this? Hey, if an angel shows up, <laughs> it's not very smart to say, hey, how can I be sure? Uh, you probably can be sure if an angel shows up. So the angel, let's read about this. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Yo, dude, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been speak, uh, sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, because you didn't believe me, you're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the, notice this, appointed time. God's had a time. God has a time for every prayer you prayed. God has a time. So here he is. It's the appointed time. You're not, you're not going to speak until the appointed time. I, I, all right, come on. His son is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is going to be a great messenger, right? 
I wonder if John the Baptist, the great messenger, ever heard his dad talk about the time he didn't believe and repeat the message that he was told. (laughs) Hey, John, little John, guess what happens when you don't do what God says? You don't talk for a year. Hey, John, Mr. Messenger, when God says it, you... I wonder if mom and dad's stories ever had an effect on little John. Listen to me, parents. I'm going to encourage you to go deeper in Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to go all in with every part of your life. And those struggles and those issues you're facing, I want you to share those stories with your kids because as you share your struggles of faith, they will learn how to overcome their struggles. I don't know where we got this idea that faith is personal and private and I don't ever talk about it. Wherever you got that idea, it was not from God, not from the Bible, and not from anybody that's sane. Luke 1, 21. So, this happens a little later. Uh, meanwhile, the pe- Oh, here it is. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. <laughs> when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized something happened. He's seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs of them, but could not speak. I uh, just want to tell you, God still does miracles. And because of that, I want to show you a real quick miracle video, something that just happened around here. We got a miracle that just happened, and just like God does miracles for John the Baptist and Zachariah and Elizabeth, God does miracles here. Show that video. A few weeks ago, Pastor Crow told us that we were going to have a prayer tunnel at the front of the church where all the prayers were standing in rows across from each other and the individuals who needed prayer would walk through and any one of those prayers would uh, be able to pray for us. Uh, At one point when I was going through, um, Pastor Matt Crow uh, took me out of line and, and prayed for me because he knew that I had a serious eye issue and had had surgery the week before. Um, so then after he was done praying, I continued on through the, the prayer tunnel and Pastor Crow anointed my forehead with oil and I was elated inside. I could feel the spirit moving. The next day, I went to my regular family doctor and found out that my blood sugar was normal and that's not the way that it is. (laughs) Normally, I take a shot and pills. And uh, that was one praise that I shared with several people. And then the next day I went to the eye doctor and they dilated my eye and looked at it and my vision had improved to 30 years ago. Um, And I was, I asked the doctor, did he want to do the happy dance with me? I was so happy and I told him that 
We had prayed for that miracle. I want you to know that I believe the doctor even thinks that this is a miracle because he stated that I was only a month into my healing process and it takes four months. So I have three more months to go and my vision in my right eye is perfect already. I believe that this is a miracle. God still does miracles, right? Amen. All right, so what happened? This uh, Elizabeth now, uh, we read about it, 123. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. And after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion, he said, the Lord has done this for me. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. <clears throat> for five months. I wonder why she waited five months. You know, one of the things we did when my wife got pregnant with all of our kids, we would wait for a while because we didn't want to have to go through the public issues if there was um, a death of a child in the womb. Uh, There's a pain of losing a child, and I'm sure she had probably experienced that before, which is why she waited. So Luke 1:41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so I've skipped down a little bit. Now Mary, I skipped Mary's story. But Mary now has Jesus in her womb, and Jesus, or Mary goes to meet Elizabeth. And it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you were bare. So, so Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when Jesus in the womb, are you, are you all following this? In the womb of Mary the greeting and the presence of Jesus caused Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it was prophesied in advance that the baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit because the baby leapt in the womb. So here's the baby, John the Baptist in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's jumping around. Mom gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Hold on, hold on. If babies can be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, maybe we ought not kill them there. I find it amazing that after the last election, the highest moral value of literally half of our culture was their right to kill a child. We, I, I was reading this past week from the Didache. If you don't know what the Didache is, it's an early Christian document. It's not included in the Scripture for a very simple reason. The reason it's not included in the Scripture is because it's not Scripture. But it is a handbook of how the early church, their values and their works. And I, I just want to read for you from this early church document that um, I'm glad it's not Scripture because there's some things in there I don't want to obey exactly the way they tell me to do it. But it is, it does reveal the values. Are you understanding the values of the early church? Written probably between 100 and 200 A.D. And it says this, You shall not murder a child by abortion or kill that which is begotten. I don't want to get super political here, but could the church of Jesus Christ simply say that all 
life is valuable. Preborn, born, postborn, all life is valuable because it is created by God. If it's created by God, we have a responsibility to make all life valuable. It's part of the reason that we promote things like foster care and taking care of kids after they're born is because we believe that all life is valuable. And the answer is not to kill. The answer is to give life. And if that offends you, good. You probably should be offended. If God fills them with the Holy Spirit, please don't kill them. All right. The naming of John. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke to him and said, no, he's to be called John. They said, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately upon this act of obedience, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him. So dad then gets, gets filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak. I tell you what, I'm just going to skip that. I'm going to go then to John's message, all right, because I want to end this way. John's message was a message of repent. His message was a message of repent. And what does repent mean? It means if you're going this way, you literally turn around this, I repent that I'm going this way, and I turn and go this way. And I use the example that if you get on the turnpike out here and you want to go to, say, uh, where? Toledo, but you're heading east, you will never get to Toledo. Right? Because Toledo's west. So one day, my son was doing this. He was on the turnpike, and he was going the wrong way, and he was supposed to be that way, and he was going this way. And he said, Dad, I don't see the exit. And I said, where are you at? And he told me, I'm at Sandusky. <laughs> and I'm like... Uh, you have to repent. <laughs> you have to turn around and go the other direction if you want to get to where you're supposed to go. And, and that's what repentance means. It means to literally hear the rebuke that you're wrong and turn around. So last week, someone sent me a prophecy, all right? I don't get these often, but somebody sent me an email, and these were words of a prophecy to our church. Um, I normally wouldn't do this, but they started their email with, in Amos chapter 6, <laughs> and I had just read that morning in my devotions, come on, of all the places in the Bible, I had just read Amos chapter 6. So it caught my attention, I paid a little closer attention to the words of this prophecy, because it started with woe to you who are complacent. Woe to you who are complacent. God had dealt with me from Amos 6. He dealt with this person from Amos 6. So, <clears> he <throat> says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion who feel secure. You lie on beds 
adorned with ivory and you lounge on couches. You dine in choice lands and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. In other words, you have 92.7 going all the time and you worship Jesus all the time. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin, the sins of God's people. All right, so here's the prophetic word. Can I read it to you? If I set it up that I think God might have been talking, maybe, can we listen? You wicked, godless people, like ignorant sheep, you line yourselves up for the slaughter. God says, I long to shield you from the arrows of the enemy, but you despise me and turn your face from me. Now, my church used to go to war for me, but now she won't even acknowledge me for fear of what others may think. Did I not suffer and die at your own hands to set you free? Did not the apostles suffer imprisonment, torture, and death for the same truth? You're a cowardly people. You see, you ravenously seek to build the good life for yourselves, your material wealth, your recognition, your status, your experiences. But do not all those good things come from God? You should seek me instead, and you will be filled. And then one final. My church is in bed with the deceiver. My precious bride has broken our covenant. Yet, like a good husband, I will soften my heart towards her at the cries of repentance. I will shield and cover her once more as our covenant demands. Um, I got to thinking about the seriousness of these words, and I thought, you know, this is a little heavy, so I need to lighten this up a little bit. So I want to show you how many of us respond to such harsh words of repentance. We're like, yeah, I see a little bit of that. I'd like to do something about it. But we're a little disoriented by the world we live in. And being a little disoriented, well, this is what we look like. So I've got a video of how the church looks when we hear a cry to repentance. One full season of baseball as a kid, I got one hit. <laughs> okay. Go! 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 It's time! It's time! Why did I show you that? Anybody ever played dingbat? That's what we called it. And what happens is, dizzy bat, dingbat, whatever, and you put the bat down, you run around and around, and after you run around and around and around, do you know what you do? You try to get up and do something. But when you try to get up and do something, you're so disoriented by the spinning that you can't focus, right? You're disoriented by the spinning so much so that you can't focus to do the right thing disorientation when we hear a cry for repentance and God says you need to repent even even if we say okay God I want to repent I want to follow you I want to be all in you know what we're so disoriented by the spinning of this world that we try to repent and we look like that dude we just fall all over ourselves anybody there other than me I'll tell you how this looks I will never do that again Lord Anybody ever say that? <clears throat> you, you've done that? All right, all right. God, I'm sorry. And then two seconds later, you have the same attitude. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, all right. We're disoriented 
And, and I, I think sometimes we get this guilt upon us that we're so disoriented we can't do it right that I'm just going to stop. And that's the wrong attitude. As a matter of fact, when I, I was thinking about this message of repentance that John was giving, and I was thinking about the message of repentance I heard here and the message of repentance God was talking to my heart. Oh, by the, by the way, I, I did something weird. I was reading a book. Y'all give me one minute for this one. Good. I was reading a book and the book was talking about how we got the scriptures and how the canon of the Old Testament, New Testament was put in place. And they kept mentioning this thing called Baruch. Baruch is a book in the Deuterocanonical uh, uh, books. It's in the Apocrypha, and I've never read Baruch, but for some reason I was being stirred to read the book of Baruch. So I go and I read the first three chapters of Baruch, and you want to guess what the first three chapters of the book of Baruch? It's not, obviously not inspired to the level of other scriptures, but guess what the first three chapters were about? How to repent the right way. It just so happened, I just finished with my sermon and I was reading this for my personal edification and I read three chapters on the right way to repent. And as I was thinking about that, the Holy Spirit reminded me this words in Romans chapter 7, a wretched man that I am. Who can save me from even my inability to repent right? Who can rescue me? But thanks be to God. It's through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even when I don't get it right, he's always right. Even when I try to repent and I look silly like that and I can't even, I hit negatives because I'm so disoriented by the world. If I will respond to the Holy Spirit and repent, God will do through Christ what I could not do on my own. Isn't that the message? It is by grace you are saved. Ephesians says, can you get the next slide? It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by work so that none of you should be able to boast. You can't even repent right. Which means that you need God all the more. And the more you depend on Jesus Christ, the more he makes right what you do wrong. And you'll find yourself becoming more and more in love with him, which is the key to holiness and righteousness. I, I'm not really sure that I'm conveying this right, but I want to encourage you today. Even when you're a goof up after being 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 a goof up, being a goof up and the Holy Spirit nudges you to repent, and you're so dizzy you can't even hit the repentance ball, you do it anyway. Because when you do, and you try to turn back to him, Jesus does what you can't do. He does it for you. And that is why we come to the moment of communion. If you don't have a communion element and you would like to have communion element today, I believe Doug even has gluten-free options for you if you so need them. I think about the last time I tried to receive communion, I could not get the elements out. Couldn't do it. Because even when I wanted to do right, I couldn't do right. Anybody ever been there? Like communion, you're like, I'm going to be damned by God if I take communion the way I've lived. No, no. 
Now, the Bible says the only time we're judged is when we eat and drink in an unworthy manner. Not unworthily, all of us are unworthy, but an unworthy manner means that you're doing it disrespectfully. Repentance, the one thing I would say to you, even if you go to repent and you're like so dizzy, you're falling everywhere, it's not an unworthy manner if you're trying. The only time I have issues is when you quit and make excuses for your sin. Okay? So I'd like everybody to bow your heads with me this morning. I'd like to say a quick prayer in just a second. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Are you in the room and you're not committed to Jesus and today you need to become committed to Jesus? You're not committed to him. Today you need to. You're not committed. You're still wrestling back and forth and you're 80% in. You're 20% in. I don't know where you are. You need to become committed to Jesus. You need to repent and turn to him, even if you do it wrong. Today's your day to be all committed, all committed. And I so bad want to do the raise your hand, but I can't do that. I'm going to invite you to do something different. If you're not all in and you need to go all in and God is talking to you, today is your day to repent and to trust him. I want you to stand to your feet around this room. That's you, stand to your feet. God is calling you right now. You know exactly what he's calling you to do. And if he's calling you to stand, you need to get on your feet right now. everybody to stand now can we do this together let's take the bread and we thank you father for the holy vine of David thy servant which you made known to us through Jesus thy servant to thee be glory forever and ever and even as this broken bread is scattered over the hills and was gathered together to become one so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom to be one as you are one. Amen. Let us partake together. And Jesus, we thank you. Our Father, we thank you for the life and knowledge which you made known to us by Jesus, your servant. And this cup represents the new covenant. The covenant that you made all the promises and we get to enjoy. The covenant that is by grace through faith. And we participate and celebrate your goodness to us. Amen. Let's partake together.